As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stasekel, joined, as always, by my colleague and buddy, Paul Tenorio. Paul, we have a U.S. men's national team roster to break down. It's been so long since we've talked about the U.S. 7 you know. Um, we haven't had any games. It hasn't been busy. None, none of that's happening. Um, we have a roster to break down ahead of the upcoming set of qualifiers, the 4th, 5th, and 6th World Cup qualifiers in the CONCACAF Octagonal against Jamaica in Austin on October 7th, at Panama on October 10th, and back home against Paul Tenorio and Costa Rica on October 13th. Paul, I think they're going to need you on the field. Are you ready for that? Uh, I think putting me on the field would fit the MO of the Costa Rican Federation right now with their team selection. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe you can get out there, man. Like, what kind of better reporting experience than to play against, you know, the U.S. men's national team? It it doesn't, you can't get much closer to the action than that. I wonder how many people on Twitter would lament my decision to choose Costa Rica over U.S. soccer and to talk about the failures mm -hmm. of the Federation to not recruit. Yet another failure. Latino and Hispanic lack of outreach, you know, just another another sad story in a long, long history. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Don't get mad at me, U.S. soccer. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Take a joke. Anyway, so we'll have a roster to talk about. We also have some MLS moves to talk about. FC Cincinnati has been in the news this week. They fired head coach Yap Stam on Monday. It seems like the reign of Dutchman is over. In southern Ohio, uh, we've reported Paul, me, and Jeff Reuter um, following up on the post Cincy's first report that Chris Albright, the Philadelphia Union technical director, longtime Philadelphia Union technical director, former MLS player, former U.S. international himself, will be taking over as GM in Cincy. Uh, and then in your in your neck of the woods in Chicago, also some news after a two zero win. <laughs> Against NYCFC on Wednesday night, the fire fired Raphael Wicke, so they have an opening at head coach. We will get into that, um, but first, U.S. roster. Should we just run through it position by position real fast? Should I just keep talking? Yeah, I'm, well, I, first of all, I just want to say 
really this this is this camp is kind of sneaking up on me. I've I'm on this quasi paternity leave and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm leaving in a few days to go to Austin to cover the yeah. national team camp. I'm I mean I'm typically like late to these things. Like I'll definitely pack my suitcase at eleven PM the night before my six AM flight out, you know? It's just how I roll. <laughs> <laughs> but this one's really sneaking up on me, man. I'm telling you. <laughs> well, uh, hopefully this can get your get get the gears turning back there. You know, I will knock do the cobwebs around. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I will do the the position by position since you just gave us the long intro right. to the episode. Are you sure? You've carried the piano up the first five flights. I'll do one flight okay. and then I'll pass it back over to you. We'll see how good carry. you can read. Okay, goalkeepers: Sean Johnson, a veteran; Zach Steffen and Matt Turner. Coming into camp at the defender position, there's 10 defenders this time around. George Bellow at left back, John Brooks, Serginio Dest, Mark McKenzie, Shaq Moore, Tim Ream, Chris Richards, Anthony Robinson, Miles Robinson, and DeAndre Yedlin. No relation. Uh, in midfield, <laughs> Kellen Acosta, Tyler Adams, Gianluca Busio, first appearance since moving to Serie A. Luca De La Torre, a Sam Stay School favorite. We have a John Luca and a Luca. How about that? Getting very Italian up in here. Sebastian Legette, Weston McKenney, Eunice Musa, and Christian Roldan rounding out the midfield group. And then the forwards. Only six forwards. Brendan Aronson, Paul Ariola, Matthew Hoppy, Ricardo Pepe, Tim Wea, and Jossi Zardes. Sam, what are your overall impressions of the 27 players that Greg Berhalter selected for the October window? Well, before we dive into my overall impressions of the 27 players, I think I hope we have it's to talk the about same. Two, that, two that are not I hope there. that's your first impression of this yes. group. Yes. Um, yeah, is is that it's missing two pretty big names in Christian Pulisic and Gio Reyna, both of whom picked up injuries in the September matches. Uh, Reyna injured his hamstring in the first game against El Salvador. Pulisic came off injured in the second half uh with an ankle injury at Honduras in the final the final match. Uh, neither of them have played for their club team since. As of Wednesday, neither of them had even participated in full team training. So they are not they are not on this team. Uh, Greg Berhalter did not completely close the door on them being late call-ups or something, but like, I don't know. I, I'm pretty, pretty confident in saying that they're not going to be there. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the big headline from this group. Those are your two most talented attacking players. Full stop. And they are not there. And that is going to change things significantly. Um, you know, I thought it was curious that despite not having those two, Burhalter only called six forwards. And, and the position groups are sort of, you know, they're, they're rather encompassing, right? So when we say six forwards, that's wingers and strikers. In this case, I think Burhalter would call it three and a half wingers and two and a half strikers. Um, with the half winger and half striker being Matthew Hoppy, maybe 0.75 winger and 0.25 striker in this case. <laughs> yeah, I think they're probably there. <laughs> um, so the, he called eight in in the September window. So we're we're losing bodies there. Um, and and to be clear, those position groups those are determined by Burhalter. I had that clarified to me today. That's not like a PR person thing over at US Soccer. No, Burhalter tells the PR people. Put this man as a midfielder, put this man as a forward, this defender, you know, this guy as a goalkeeper. Although that's pretty self-evident, I suppose, <laughs> in that last case. Um, so, yeah, there's short bodies there. Uh, really, the only two full-time strikers are, are Giassi Zardes and, and Ricardo Pepe. We'll see if Pepe Mania continues here uh, after his amazing 45 minutes that he had in Honduras. Um, but oh, that's a big burden for those two to carry. And, you know, we heard... 
Berhalter talk about verticality in his press conference. And that's going to be a real theme, I think, of this window and of this team. Uh, so, Paul, why don't why don't you kind of expand on that? Because you actually asked him about it in the press yeah. conference. So, so yeah, talk to us about verticality. Well, yeah, when I saw the roster, the first thing I noticed is that this is a group that is kind of more straight line. They're more vertical. They're guys that are going to run in behind the lines, stretch the field as much as possible. And I'm not just talking about the forward group, though – you can look at this group and very obviously see that as a theme. And and the reason this is important is because in September, Greg Berhalter talked about how there was no verticality in the roster or, or very little verticality in the roster. Um, and so, you know, when I looked at this team, I saw Tim Weah. His biggest strength is his verticality. Jossie Zardes, you know, he, he is a guy who, you know, typically is known for being able to stretch stretch the back line. In how he plays striker. Um, coming back, Brendan Aronson obviously plays in a completely vertical system. We already know that. Paul Ariola, DC United, another guy who isn't going to be coming inside and playing and combining, likes to get to the end line and serve the ball across. Matthew Hoppy, another, maybe, another completely vertical system too. DC yeah, United. Absolutely. In, under the, under Losada is a completely vertical system. Matthew Hoppy, maybe the one guy who can do a little bit of both, but really when you watched him play at Schalke, he was all about running in behind the back line. That was what he did. And, and when you saw him at the Gold Cup, he was best when he was facing up defenders when he was playing as a winger, you know, and running straight at him. Yeah, for sure. And and of course, Pepe as well. You know, he, we've seen his 13th goal was another example of his ability to get in behind the back line, time that run well. But when you move back out of the forward group, you see some of these themes popping up again with some of the faces who are new in this group that weren't in September. Luca De La Torre and Eunice Musa in the midfield group are the two best examples of that. These are both players who have a really good strength of dribbling out of pressure, breaking lines on the ball, uh, something that was really lacking in the midfield group in September. Now you have two options capable of doing that, and you're going to need it because you don't have Christian Pulisic and Gio Reyna to receive the ball under pressure in the pockets and try to play out of it. You need guys who are going to be able to carry the ball forward and break lines. I know, Sam, we talked about this in September. You think Kellen Acosta can do it. I don't think it's as big of a strength for him as it is for De La Torre and Musa. But certainly you see the verticality added into this group. And then the defensive group, I think it factored into a decision, for example, to bring George Bello over a guy like Joe Scally who can play right back and left back. You look at the fullbacks here, the strengths are all verticality. George Bello, Serginho Dest, Shaq Moore. DeAndre Yedlin, Anthony Robinson, all guys who are all about verticality, getting up and down the the outside of the... Do you think, De- uh, do you think Dest is all about verticality? Yeah. I mean, look, yes, he can come inside. We saw the goal where he came into his right foot, but he bombs up the sideline, especially when he's playing on the right. Yes, he likes to dribble more, but it's he's not a guy that... He can play that role. They're not going to ask him to come inside and play as a central midfielder type of of right back you know he's going to be on the touchline he's going to be getting vertical and getting up the field he's going to yeah. test the opposition's back line he's you have to be concerned about his hopefully. overlaps hopefully you know that's the <laughs> idea here and certainly that's the strength of Shaq Moore that we saw in the gold cup and I think yeah. I think we can all agree it's the strength of George Bellow um in you know a very young portion of his career so far as many of these guys are but mm-hmm. you know th- these are the themes that we're seeing throughout all of these groups. And I think, I think this national team is going to play differently, frankly, in October than they did in September, because you've taken 
two guys ar- around whom you built a system, they're now out of the system. And so it changes completely. It goes, it yeah. goes to a much different team. I want to read the quote that Berhalter gave, I think, in response to what you asked him. One of our benchmarks for each game that we discussed with the team is runs behind the back line. And I just didn't think that we did that effectively enough, particularly in the first two games. So that's a focus of ours moving into this next window. At times against Honduras, when we started doing it, we gave them a ton of problems. And when you have guys like Paul Areola, when you have guys like Brendan Aronson, Giassi, Ricardo Pepe, these guys will stretch the back line. Timmy Weah will stretch the back line and look to get behind. And that's a really important part of our game. So just to kind of hammer it home, if you're wondering why you might not be seeing a Conrad De La Fuente or a Josh Sargent or a Jordan Pifak, that's pretty much why. Um, you know, maybe Sargent, it's just a form thing generally. <laughs> I think that's probably safe to say. But Pifak, for example, who is scoring goals and is in pretty good form with young boys in Switzerland, you know, Berhalter said it. There were difficult decisions to make. Jordan Pifak, that was certainly a difficult decision. It was based on how we see games playing out. It was based on the depth that we see at the striker position and our need in these games for some verticality. There's that word again. And some speed to get behind the back line. That's not really Pifak's game, right? Now, Paul, I will say, I think I would have called him anyway if I was Burhalter. Just as an option off the bench, late in a game, good on set pieces, good in the air. He can kind of just give you a different element. And this team doesn't really have a different element right now. <laughs> you know, it's pretty much one club in the bag. And I don't think that's terrible, but I also don't think it would have been the end of the world to call a 28th guy in Jordan yeah. P5. Yeah. I, especially, I especially, Paul, given the fact that it looks like the three English-based players, Tim Ream, Anthony Robinson and, and Zach Steffen aren't even going to travel to Panama because of UK restrictions and club stuff and yada, yada, yada. Yeah. I mean, I think what's interesting to me is when you look at the opponents, from my perspective, having a bigger physical presence in the box is not as big of a deal as it would be against El Salvador or Honduras. Costa Rica typically actually pretty decent defensively in the air. Certainly yeah. Jamaica as well. And and I think yeah. even Panama, when you look at the center backs that have come out and some of the strikers yeah. that they no, defend within the boxes, it's not as big of a an emphasis as it as it is against El Salvador and Honduras, where you think, hey, this is an area we should take advantage of. And but in I fact, that's how Jordan Peacock scored against Honduras. I don't think it Honduras. needs to be a huge emphasis. It's just something you th- when you're throwing – if you need yeah, to throw it, the kitchen sink at a team late in the game, right? Yeah, but I think if you're throwing the kitchen sink late in the game, you're probably seeing, you know – Miles Robinson get thrown forward. There's no Walker Zimmerman on this roster, so you can't stick him in as a late sub. No. Um, there's really not a ton of aerial, you know. I, I, and Wes McKinney, yeah. very, very good, very, very good on set pieces. Um, but regardless, I, I look at this team and I think also, by the way, that this sets up when you have a lot of guys that can stretch the back line. It it puts a big emphasis on your midfield, and I think you're going to see guys like mm-hmm. Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney. I actually think this is really going to help a player like Gianluca Busio to have more time on the ball and space on the ball in midfield. I think we're going to see him play from the way Greg Berhalter spoke about him in the he press loves him. He, he, said he loves him. He loves what he's doing. He used the and, he used the L word, and he said he said we're going to see. You know, he's going to contribute in this window, and he's a player who is better. I mean, all players are when you have a little bit more time and space to work. And when you're, when you have forwards who are stretching that, stretching the field and, and keeping that back line honest, it gives more time for the players in midfield. So, yeah. you know, I, I think it really matters for Sebastian Legette, for Gianluca Busio, players who are going to be asked to be on the ball a little bit more, um, and to change the game that way. Yeah. So, you know, 
that's the that's the idea behind this. Um, and and that doesn't mean that you don't have players who are creative. Brendan Aronson has done very very well for the national team. Um, you know, I think he's behind only Eddie Johnson when it comes to combined goals and assists in his first. There's a there's another player as well whose name is escaping me from previous non-modern era USMNT. Yeah, he's up there with I think six goals and four assists um so far or uh, maybe it's five five and three. Oh, thank you. Well see I'm all over the place, Sam. You, you've got the yeah, stats. You really are. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I don't I, I only I, remember I only need to scroll down. It's right in front of me here too. Um but you know I look you have players that can make a difference like that. I think Matthew Hobby is a player who Likes to be a creative player, like, to your point. Sam, likes to <laughs> maybe get, too much, <laughs> you know. You know, thinks of himself as, you know, Clint Dempsey. You know, so <laughs> you're not taking that out of the game. It's just not. You know that it's not Christian Pulisic, and you know it's yeah, not. Yeah, well, no, I, I want to elaborate on the point you made about the midfield because I think it's really important. The U.S. had a hard time progressing play through the middle in the first window. They didn't do a very good job of it. Uh, in El Salvador, Aronson played in the, in the central role in that game and was pretty invisible. Adams and McKenney, they were having to, Adams in particular was having to cover a lot for Dest, uh, and they weren't really able to get in a rhythm. Neither of, none of the three of them were particularly good on the ball or clean that night. All of them were a little bit off. Against Canada, we saw what happened there. Canada packed it in. The U.S. didn't have answers for them through the middle. Uh, against Honduras, you know, the first half was the first half there. The U.S. was completely overrun through the middle with James Sands and Kellen Acosta. It changed a little bit in the second half when they switched the formation a bit. But, you know, even then, I'm trying to remember, correct me if I'm wrong here, Paul, but I feel like most of the goals were either kind of in transition moments or through play down the wing. Um, and, and so it wasn't exactly like sustained buildups through the middle of the field. Not that they need to be, right? But it wasn't a lot of get a midfielder on the ball, have him break a line with a pass. Um, there wasn't a ton of that. And I think this group, first of all, with Musa in it, is more equipped to, to do that than the previous one. Um, and second of all, they'll have more space, as you mentioned. But I'm really, really curious to see Musa in this camp um, and to see what kind of role he plays. I'm assuming he's going to be in a pretty prominent position. Maybe that's, maybe that'll turn out to be incorrect. You know, I don't know, but I'm assuming he will be. And, and he's good on the dribble. He can, he can kind of turn past a man and kind of break a line on, with his own feet in that way. If you want to call it that, there's probably a better way to describe that. That's escaping me right now, but he can progress play with, with his passing as well. Um, and I think that that, in addition to the fact that wingers and strikers will be stretching the back line and creating a little bit more space in that way, I think that will take some of the burden off of Adams and McKenney to do those sorts of things. And while those guys are capable of doing those sorts of things, it's not their strongest suit either. Um, and so I think if you free them up, take a little bit of that burden off of them, uh, it should make them better too. So we'll see. Uh, I, I'm still pretty optimistic about the u.s's chances in these three games but you know they were very optimistic about the first three yeah i we mean saw there, how that went there are some really interesting combinations that can happen in this midfield you know who would you start well you're starting off at home um against jamaica i, I think i probably i probably would start with Adams, McKenney, and Legette. I think you need a creative player in midfield for all those reasons we just talked about. Somebody who is a kind of pass first player. And you see Legette when he plays 
aggressively like he did in Honduras. And he said after that game that he was kind of given the green light to be more aggressive than he was in the Canada game where he really struggled. I, I was really disappointed. Yeah, he, was, he had a rough that night. game. But if he, if he has time and space and he has runners going in behind the back line, that's where he thrives. And so I think playing home, you know, against Jamaica, you know, I probably start with Legette next to McKenney and Adams. And, you know, I've got Tim Way on the right, Aronson on the left, and Pepe up top. And you hope that Legette can find those runners and, and be kind of the guy pulling the strings. When you go to Panama, I go with Adams, McKenney, and Musa in midfield. I think it's a little bit more, I don't want to say defensive-minded, but yeah, it's a little bit more about making sure you're covering ground, making sure... It's um, more athletic, for sure. Certainly more athletic. It's a little bit of a different dynamic. And I think it, it gives you some wiggle room because you're going to have to rotate going into that last game. We've learned that. you know. So I, I, I start Tyler Adams again. He's the only guy that's not getting rotated. <laughs> um, but then you, you maybe you're looking at Adams, Musa, and Busio, or Adams, Musa, and... Uh, De La Torre, which I think would be a little bit repetitive there. Um, but you know, you, it gives you, it gives you options for sure. Uh, Kellen Acosta can start, you know, I, he's an interesting one. Does he get pushed out of the lineup and out of the consideration by somebody like Musa? I mean, there's, there are two players on this roster who are really highly regarded, who we haven't seen play in games that matter for the national team. Eunice Musa, I thought was going to be a starter at the Nations League, did not play. Chris Richards has not been a part of this team in any games that matter. Both of those guys, I would say, are probably, in my mind, should be important for the World Cup if you get there. We don't yeah. know what they bring in these games. I'm interested to see yeah. how much they play, where they play, how they play. Yeah. All right. So let's spend a little more time there. Newcomers that you're excited for. I think those are my top two as well. I'm curious to see what Hoppy brings too. Like his personality is, it's just fun. <laughs> You know, I think it adds a different, unique element to this can we, group. Can we talk about what Hoppy's going to be like in Panama? You know what I mean? Like, we the U.S. was missing Hoppy in El Salvador, you know? Oh, <laughs> big time. So, like, all right, let me just go off here for a sec, okay? Like, Christian Pulisic and Gio Reyna are fantastic players. They have kind of strange attitudes, in my opinion. Maybe strange is the wrong word, but all right, let me walk that back. Strange, that's not what I want to say. Um, they're not Matthew Hoppy in terms of personality. <laughs> Wouldn't that be the opposite of that? Wouldn't it be not like they're not strange enough? Yeah, all right. Well, yeah, fair enough. Um, but they're, they're quarter, they're sort of like, you know, their body language is kind of weird sometimes. And, you know, maybe they complain to the referee. They're certainly not the type, uh, to kind of really get in other people's faces, um, opponents' faces. Although I, maybe Reyna is. I shouldn't really say that. Um, but you know, both are kind of like looking to the ref a lot. I feel like, is that unfair to say, Paul? I would say that's the case with Christian, partly because he gets fouled 30 times a game. Christian gets kicked the hell out of, yeah, I get it. I, I think, I think, um, Gio will probably look at his own teammates as much as he looks at the referee. Yes. Thank you for saying what I was trying to say. They're both kind of sad boys a little bit. All right. That's what I really want to say. All right. Matthew Hoppy is not that. <laughs> <laughs> what are they not what i don't even I mean, know where to begin with what whatever <laughs> this is 
but I want it to end. <laughs> well, too bad. Because it's not. Matthew Oppie is not a sad boy, okay? <laughs> he's going to go out there and he's going to like do some weird stuff. He's going to dribble too much. He's going to scream at people. And then he's going to put Greg Berhalter's face on a t-shirt and, and like be like, hey, coach, what's up? And... I, I don't know. I like that energy. The U.S. has been... They missed that. You're right. They missed it in El Salvador. They missed it against Canada. And, like, I don't know. Maybe they missed a little bit against Honduras, too, in that first half. <laughs> so they missed it. And I'm glad that they're not going to be missing it this time around. That's all I was trying to say. I'm excited for Matthew Hoppy to be on the scene. <laughs> wow. Okay. I'm going to move on from this Matthew Hoppy moment from Sam State School, <laughs> who cannot contain himself. I do want to go to a point... Um, first of all, I think it's really interesting going back to Chris Richards. John Brooks was not convincing in September. No, you can say he was conv- he was convincingly not good. I is think, what you can I say. I think he will be given a chance. Me. I think he will be giving another given another chance in Austin. Yes, but I think Chris Richards will be given a chance to win the job in this window. And Perhaps. I, I, look, I get coaches understandably want a left-footed player at left center back. Chris Richards has played left center back despite being right-footed. He's shown an ability to hit the passes you need to hit with his left foot at that position. I, I'm i a big fan, obviously. So I, mm. I think I think he'll be given a chance. But I also, I was, I was speaking to a, uh, a scout about Anthony Robinson. I was doing some reflecting, Sam. Because I was, as the commenters in our stories know, a quote-unquote Anthony Robinson hater who didn't watch enough Fulham to understand how good he was. You know um, what? Which, true, you were. I did not tune in to enough Fulham in the championship two years ago. Um, I wasn't all that convinced by Anthony Robinson in the Premier League last year. But I know he was rated as the best left back in the championship uh, very nearly went to AC Milan as a backup left back for $10 million, which was, was one of the more incredible deadline day stories that ever happened. Um, that and, and Lucho Acosta right next to each other, I'd say. Right. Um, and the scout, uh, a Premier League scout that I was speaking with about Anthony Robinson, who had seen him extensively in the Premier League, he noted that the way Anthony Robinson scored against Honduras is his strength. That is what Fulham does well to highlight what Anthony Robinson does well. They play through the opposite side of the field. You know, Anthony Robinson's strengths basically are, or weaknesses, not really to have the ball, not to be asked to carry it forward or to progress it with passes, but he's very athletic. He has really good timing and understanding of movement and when to go. And so the, what, what this scout was saying is that oftentimes Fulham will play up through the right side of the field and look to get the ball into the box. And Anthony Robinson is often that late arriving runner at the far post that no one's, that no one's accounted for. No one's accounted for. And he can finish. He's got good abilities in the final third, or he can pick the pass if the ball goes all the way through and he doesn't have a look at goal. And he was like that. That example of Honduras is very much what you should be trying to get out of Anthony Robinson. And I think that's encouraging for the national team. If you can get Serginio Dest playing to his potential at right back, you're going to want the ball going through there. Now, the problem yes, is... Yes, and this is, this is important because Dest is going to be counted on, I think, to carry more of the attacking load this camp. Yeah, the problem is when, when Christian Pulisic is playing, you don't want to avoid the left side of the field. <laughs> you you right. want to get the ball to him. But I, I do think it's notable that Greg Berhalter has said that Christian Pulisic is actually really good 
at his runs into the box, crashing towards the near post. He nearly scored that way against Canada. That's one of his big strengths as well. It's an interesting dynamic. You know, I'm interested to see how the U.S. plays, whether they're able to get a little bit more of that type of production out of Anthony Robinson. Certainly, it would be a huge development if the Anthony Robinson we saw in September is back in October because the left back position has always been kind of that that big question mark for the U.S. national team. Yeah, you mentioned that you think Richards might get a chance uh, against Jamaica. And I wanted to just say one thing on that. The whole England players thing and the fact that it doesn't look like, and they don't know for certain, but as things currently stand, they're not going to be traveling to Panama. Now, the UK is going to be announcing something new on Monday in terms of their restrictions and their red list and their rules and all that. So it could change. But as of now, those guys are not going. So Reem won't be going to Panama. I wouldn't be surprised if he started against Jamaica because of that. Sorry, I I meant that he was going to get a chance in this window, not in the first game. Okay. Glad glad we you waited until I made my brilliant point. Oh, it's it's worth noting, you know. And Tim Reed played well in El Salvador in the first start. Um, He was one of the better players, I thought, on the field for the U.S. Yep. Um, Of course, you know Jamaica is going to be a a different kind of challenge than El Salvador was particularly in terms of some of the guys they're going to be likely running out up top, Michael Antonio, for one. Um, so maybe you want John Brooks out there to deal with that sort of player. Um, I don't know. I think uh, I think that would make sense, personally. Well, that's why I think I actually thought the rotation would go John Brooks against Jamaica, Chris Richards in Panama. Now, that's a heck of a, an atmosphere to throw a player into for a game like that, but he did it with George Bellow in Honduras. He did it with Ricardo Pepe in Honduras, he being Greg Berhalter. And mm-hmm. I think John Brooks has struggled playing in Central American countries and qualifying across two windows. He, he has. Yeah. And so you play Chris Richards in that game, and then you come home and you either play Tim Ream or you, or maybe you stick with Brooks or maybe you stick with Richards, depending on his performance. Mm-hmm. Um, TBD. TBD. But I, I think TBD. Chris Richards will get a shot. I think a lot of players are going to get a shot. Um, Burhalter basically said as much. They started 21 different field players in the three games last window. Um, I would expect that number to be similar this time around. You know, he said, he said the other day in his press conference, we learned about rotations and the importance and the impact of substitutes, the impact of getting fresh bodies on, how we can physically wear down opponents, what these games end up looking like as the window goes on. We played 21 different starters in this last window. That's a lot. Juggling that in seven days is a really interesting task for coaches. So I think in general, that's what we're taking away, how we need to use this entire squad to be successful. And there's a certain, there was a certain line in that quote that really stood out to me how we can physically wear opponents down, what these games end up looking like as the window goes on. One of the U.S.'s biggest strengths relative to its most of its CONCACAF opponents is its depth. And when you play three games in seven days, when that third game rolls around, if you can be fresher than your opponent, that could pay major dividends. Um, I'm not saying that that's what happened against Honduras because Honduras rotated their entire team <laughs> in the first and second games. They played two different teams. Um, so they should have been pretty fresh, probably even fresher than the U.S. considering the travel and all of that. Um, but, you know, we saw in the Gold Cup, Paul, those substitutions. The U.S. would often in that tournament play like a pretty blah or bad, not so good six for 60 minutes. Then they would make some changes. Boom, boom, boom. Fresh legs. Other team can't deal. They're worn down. U.S. races out, gets a goal, wins. Um, I think that's going to be a theme throughout qualifying. 
not just in this window. Yeah, and to your point, that might mean that Tim Ream and Anthony Robinson both start against Costa Rica because those players, if the if the restrictions don't change in the UK, will travel straight from Austin to Columbus and will be mm-hmm. you know resting essentially. I expect Robinson to preparing. start both home games personally. Yeah, assuming I, I, he does well in the first one. I'm just saying, like that's a good example of just managing minutes, managing players, and 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 ensuring that you have the freshest team possible um, when you get to that third game. So it, it'll be interesting. That the rotations on these three game windows are are the most unique part of covering these World Cup qualifiers. It's never been done before, and and these coaches are learning on the go, and the way the national teams are doing this is is it's fascinating to watch. We're also learning on the go, as as you saw that segment with my whole weird Matthew Hoppy thing. I'm not going to apologize for it, but it was different. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. I'm going to reflect on that, and we'll come back with some MLS talk after the break. Stay with us. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. And we are back again. I, I messed up the first and we are back, so we had to redo it. <laughs> Sorry about that, Joe. Uh, we are back. We are talking MLS. You got your fill of national team. We'll be back with more of that later on. Uh, Paul, let's talk about the Chicago Fire. They took the strange step of firing a head coach in the hours after he won a game at home. One of just 12 wins, I believe, that he had in his entire tenure in Chicago. Of course, I'm speaking of Raphael Wicke. Vicky, excuse me, uh, he had a rough go with the fire. Uh, they did not live up to expectations. He, of course, was hired very late in the offseason ahead of 2020 by George Heights, also hired late in the offseason ahead of the 2020 season. They rebuilt a roster that had a ton of a ton of holes. And I'm not talking about like these guys weren't good enough. Literally, they didn't have a ton of players on the team. They They inherited a very empty squad. They didn't do a great job in terms of filling it. Uh, the results have been bad. And here we are, I believe, with six games left in the season. They are 12 points out of the playoff places. And Vicky is no longer with the fire. In regards to the timing, and this is important, Vicky had an option. The fire had an option on him for 2022. Uh, they declined. They had decided that they were no, lo- they were not going to pick up that option. Uh, what George Heights said to the media today was that Raphael Vicky, who had to take time off this summer and leave the fire to go be with his father, who was dealing with medical issues in Switzerland, um, they decided to tell him now um, so that he could, you know, go be with his dad, who is not doing so well back at home in Switzerland. Of course, it also allows them to get a jump on their coaching search, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, so, yeah, that's that's the uh, state of play. In Chicago, it's 
I mean, more of the same, unfortunately, for that club. It's not not a great scene there. It hasn't been for a long time. Yeah, it's 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 pretty sad living here in Chicago, knowing what the market could be, knowing what it is. Um, and, and the fact that there are no clear solutions for some of the big problems, you know, the fire needed to move out of Bridgeview. I, I know there are, you know, certain people, reporters and stuff who have been around the team who insist that it wasn't Bridgeview that had the problem. It's not about whether Bridgeview was the problem. It's that the fire were never going to be able to grow into what they need to grow into playing out of Bridgeview. But Soldier Field is not a perfect solution either. We knew that. Um, and, you know, if the Bears leave, maybe it becomes a more perfect solution there. But there have been real issues with playing on the Soldier Field surface, sharing it with football and concerts and all of that, issues at the stadium itself that have made the, the field even worse than it needs to be, um, and no fans showing up in a cavernous stadium. So the issues go beyond the the the, the roster that we see. But let's go to that roster because there are big, big problems that are way bigger than just the head coach. And when you look at what this team's going to look like coming out of the, the, the roster decisions that need to be made in December at the end of the season, you're going to see basically an entirely new top eight players on this team my, is my, my guess. I think you'll see the fire move on in some manner from all three designated players that they have, which is obviously a, a big problem if you're George Heights, that you got all three of your DPs wrong. Yes, on a short window to make those decisions, but all three wrong. But I, I do want to note that four of those eight players that I think the fire are going to cut ties with were players that were signed initially by the previous regime. So Alvaro Madron, Francisco Calvo, Kenneth Cronholm. I forgot that he was the previous regime. He was like the last from the grave move. Madron right was done right before, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, the the decision was made to move Nelson out, Nelson Rodriguez out of the sporting department. So Alvaro Madron on a million dollars, Francisco Calvo on 902000 guaranteed. Although Heights um, and Vicky picked up that option last offseason. Kenneth Cronholm at 632000 is in the last year of his guaranteed contract. And Johan Kappelhoff on $490,000, um, also on the last year of his guaranteed deal. So four of those eight come from the previous regime. As you noted, Ken, you know, Calvo, you picked up the option on him. Um, there's going to be a lot of change here. There's going to be a lot of change on this roster. They can't afford to be as wrong as they were. And the issues aren't <laughs> no. just as bad. <laughs> They're not just here at Robert Barrich, who I just have never rated even when he scored goals last year. Just not a great fit if you don't have good players providing him service all the time. Gaston Jimenez, I actually think a very good soccer player, but he's a luxury soccer player. You need good players around him to emphasize his strengths. He's not going to cover ground. He's not going to defend. And when you play him next to Alvaro Madron and Fabian Herbers, you're going to be in trouble. That's what they did basically his entire time here. Uh, Ignacio Aliceta, Nacho Aliceta, young player, hasn't really shown anything in MLS. Uh, that happens from time to time when you sign a young DP or a U22 player. It, it just happens. You know, they don't have the time to wait for him, basically. Uh, maybe, maybe he'll come around, maybe not. But if you can cut ties with him, I think you do. Um, and you you try to find the next young one, which they have. They've signed a couple young players um, already who are coming in, either are here, um, in the case of uh, Federico Navarro, 
or are coming in next next season. But you know, I I think if you look down the roster, they haven't signed anyone from MLS that can contribute. They haven't signed any starters from Major League Soccer, which I think is important to have guys who are starting level players. Um, I don't count Herbers in that. I think they think differently about him than I do, but I just don't see him as the profile that I'm talking about. But I, you know, when I look at Stanislav Ivanov, came from the Bulgarian league, not impressed. I'm not impressed by him. You know, he's on three hundred and thirty-four thousand injuries. I think, I think he required he had some a, a transfer yeah. fee. Um, Chinoso of four from the Latvian league. He's only on one hundred eighty-one thousand. But what are what are we doing shopping in the Latvian league? So. These are the, and it matters in Major League Soccer. Your depth, it, it plays a role eventually. Yeah. You know, O4 has been playing. And, and I also want to add one more thing on top of that. When you get to the bottom of this roster, to the supplemental roster, it's all homegrowns. Okay. It's like, it's like 17 year olds. Gaga Slonina is a very good player, goalkeeper. I think he's going to contribute. I think Brian Gutierrez, to me, has been one of the bright spots when he's actually been given minutes, consistent minutes to play. But they don't get enough. They're not getting contributions from Andre Reynolds, from Javi Casas, from Alex Monis, from Alan Rodriguez, Nick Slanina. Like, that's wasted space. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of FC Dallas from days yore when they had all these homegrowns and they, they these guys weren't really contributing. And other MLS teams would complain to us on the phone. and be like, why is everyone talking about FC Dallas homegrown system? They don't actually play any of these guys. They don't do anything. <laughs> That's what this feels like. So th- there's a lot of work that has to happen to this roster. Yeah. I mean, there's uh, – and, and Paul, I mean, we talked, we've talked about this for two years. We've talked about it for two years. Like even the profile of DP that they went after – in ahead of the 2020 season was strange. Keep in mind, this is pre-pandemic. You're moving into Soldier Field. You're trying to sell out that first game, which they came close to, by the way, before it was before it got shut down. Huge missed opportunity for the fire. Not their fault, but man, no. that was like fill the bowl with Orlando City. It would have been really, really, really good for I the I think fire. they had sold like 50,000 plus tickets. It was more than 50,000 tickets had been sold, yep. And, and so a real shame, right? But... You did that with Robert Barrage, Gaston Jimenez, and Nacho Aliceta as your three designated players. Three people that no one in Chicago had ever heard of before. They were signed. <laughs> These are not marketable players, regardless of their quality or lack thereof or whatever. You said it at the time. I think we said it at the time. I don't know if we wrote it. We, we, this show didn't exist at that point. But, <laughs> you know, we, if you're in the fire, just you need to go out and sign a Mexican player. You have to. And maybe they'll do that this winter. I don't know. Maybe they'll look at it. Maybe they'll fail. They've looked at it in the past. They haven't gotten some deals over the line. Uh, they've had Quau, ancient history now, 12 years ago. You covered that, they, those teams. I covered that team. Those teams were great. And, and they got good crowds, too, in Bridgeview. Um, so they could go that route again. I would encourage them to do so. But I just look at the fire and I'm like, why are we doing this again? Two years later. Why? It's the same exact thing it was two years ago. But this is what we talk about, Sam. When you, you know, people people like to complain that we, we bring this up again. When we talk about MLS experience in front offices, when yeah. we talk about the importance of MLS experience, it's because understandably there is a learning curve to this league. It, is, it operates differently than any other league in the world. Yeah. All of these different buckets, and, they don't and, just and matter Paul, because they're convoluted rules and we have a whole podcast to talk about them. They matter <laughs> because 
you are restricted in how you can spend. And when you make mistakes in these buckets, they're not mistakes that you can fix easily. Like you can't elsewhere in the world. You can't just bench a guy and go buy a new guy. You can't do it in MLS. Yeah. You can't do it. And so these, these, someone like George Heights, who had a tremendous amount of success at Basel, he, he learned, hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully. We don't know what he learned, by the way. I asked him on a press conference earlier today. I said, George, what have you learned to ensure that this, this offseason isn't what, what the last two were? And he was like, well, of course, we've learned a lot and some more word salad. He didn't actually say anything specific. And that was the general Tony took all press conference. But so I don't know. What have they learned? I don't know if they have. I guess we'll find out. Paul, can I can I do something totally ridiculous real quick? This is going to be very Matthew Hoppy-esque of me. It's my spirit animal, I think. I'm going to quote myself. Oh, that's <laughs> super Matthew Hoppy-esque. I wrote an article. I pulled it up can here you, while Can you, you do this? Can you say Sam Stasekul wrote an article? Can you go third person? Oh, sure. Why not? Sam Stasekul wrote an article on October 11th, 2019. Almost two years ago, exactly. And at that point in time, it looked like Velko Panovic and Nelson Rodriguez were going to be back in there as head coach and GM for the 2020 season. And of course, did not end up like that. And I wrote a piece basically being like, why is this happening? <laughs> uh, they had just signed Alvaro Madron. Um and basically what I wrote, one of the last paragraphs in the story, I said, if all goes well, this will be just fine. Great, even. But if things go belly up, if they perform to their history, they being Rodriguez and Ponovic, and Mansueto decides in six or eight or 12 months that he doesn't like the way his club is headed is, and decides to fire one or both, well, then the fire will have missed the chance to get off on the right foot at Soldier Field. Whoever is next as coach and slash or GM will inherit expensive players signed by the old regime. And Mansueto, he'll be left looking naive. Now, you know, they're not inheriting any expensive players signed by the old regime. They have some expensive players that they signed themselves who are maybe coming out of contract in the case of Barich and I think Jimenez. I think both of them have options on on their contracts for 2022. But, you know, and, and Nelson Rodriguez and Velkoponovic weren't the ones making these decisions. I do still think that Mansueto is, is left looking a little bit naive here. Um, and, I, you know, may, maybe George Heights will turn it around. Maybe they'll hire a coach will come in and be a total badass and they'll build a great roster and everything will be great. But uh, I'll just, I'll ask again, Paul, why are we doing this? We're in the same exact spot two years, two years ago, two years, two years, two years ago is the same exact spot. And here, here the fire are still, and, and it's just a, it just feels like a waste. It just feels like a wasted two years. Yeah. I mean, again, you, you're buying, you're kind of buying it. You know, if you're Joe Mansueto and you, you hire George Heights, I mean, you're buying that learning curve. You're buying that two years of mistakes. Better you hope are. you learn. Historically, historically, that's the case in Major League Soccer. There are very few exceptions. There are exceptions. But when you look at the, the exceptions, Ernst Tanner is the one everyone likes to bring up. The infrastructure in Philadelphia was set in a very specific way when Ernst Tanner came in. You have Jim Curtin with plenty of MLX experience as coach. You had Chris Albright, longtime technical director who handled the roster rules and structures. And Ernst came in and, yes, he added some foreign signings from his Rolodex. Kai Wagner, Shabilko, those were guys from Ernst's Rolodex that were brought in. But they also had a very clear system of promoting homegrowns. And those homegrowns ended up being a big part of the team that won a supporter shield last year. Alejandro Bedoya was already in place, brought in by Ernie Stewart. 
somebody who had MLS experience. So the infrastructure around the people who don't have MLS experience is important. And, and to, and I think even more important than that is a willingness to embrace what you don't know, to trust and value the level of major league soccer. And if that trust and value is not there, if you don't believe that MLS level or that you know the MLS level and you ignore it and you think I can find a better player in Latvia or in Bulgaria than I can in MLS free agency or the reentry draft or in the trade market, you're going to find yourself in trouble. That's, that's, that's just historically what's happened. You can look at San Jose as an example of that. You can look at Colorado a few years back as an example of that. You know, th- this isn't just the fire. And so the test now will be when we talk about what did they learn, it's not just that you need to go shopping in different buckets when you go internationally. And if you have an owner like Joe Mansueto who's willing to spend a significant amount of money on DPs, go spend it and spend it on players who are effective in this league. And there's a lot of evidence of where you can go shopping to get those players, right? That that that's it's there. You can go look. And when we talk about Mexican players, people who have succeeded in Liga MX, people who have played for the Mexican national team, typically you can find players who are going to be good in Major League Soccer. Like, let's just put it that way. It's not buying a Mexican player just so you can try to pull some Mexican flags into the stadium. There are good Mexican players who would be good in this league. But but I think the most important thing that needs to be pulled out of the last two years is understanding what is different about MLS and what the level of the league is, the physicality of the league and the level of the domestic players and the players who are in this league and understanding that you can get much better value for some of your middle-class MLS players by shopping in MLS because you're avoiding transfer fees. You know what you're going to get. And, and by the way, you want examples of that. You can look at low budget teams in MLS who have built their entire structure around it. Colorado Rapids of today, Montreal Impact, who traded a million dollars for Georgia Mihalovic from Chicago. Nashville's done a lot of it. Nashville's yeah. done it as well. I mean, Bruce Arena. Bruce Arena is the best example of it. Tommy McNamara, Matt Polster. He goes and gets these guys and he tells them, this is what you do. And that's it. Valuing those players, understanding the level of the league. That's what we're talking about when we when we discuss MLS experience, quote unquote, or understanding this league. It's not just understanding the roster rules. It's understanding how certain profiles of players in this league fit within those rules, why you need to value them, and why it's not always better to go outside. And and that's what the fire has failed to do in the last two years. And if they don't do it in January, we're going to be talking about this again in two more years. Let's take a quick break. We're going to talk about FC Cincinnati. Speaking of teams that have had a rough two or three years <laughs> after the quick after this break, stay with us. Hey, folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show, reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early. There are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation. There's going to be Offers coming through willy-nilly. There's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there. There's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain. There are many things to deal with. And unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively. But... 
For the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Welcome back to Allocation Disorder. Um, Welcome back to Sad Boy Territory, the alternative name of this particular episode of this particular podcast i don't, I don't not I endorsed don't, not by okay. paul tenorio <laughs> all right that's fine you don't have to i'll roll with it myself i don't need you i carry this piano by myself anyway fc cincinnati fire weren't the only team to make changes this week they fired yop stom on monday not really a huge surprise again sort of confusing why these i shouldn't say sort of confusing eyebrow raising that these are happening with like five games left and your team already out of the playoffs um but you know it is what it is i think a big part of that is these teams want to get a head start on their coaching searches uh there aren't a ton i don't think of domestic candidates who are seen as super desirable at this point and i think cincinnati wants a domestic candidate i think the fire might want to go that route um, so they wanted to get a little bit of a jump on maybe some of the opposition in terms of naming a new head coach. So they fired Yopstam on Monday. I mean, quickly, Sam, it's because there's so many jobs mm-hmm. open. There's com- there's competition. So many. Toronto's yeah. open. Well, RSL's open. Vancouver's sort open. Of, yeah. Dallas yeah. is open. Yeah. Cincinnati is open. Chicago's By the way, Gonzalez is going to be getting interviews. I'm sure of it. Oh, yeah. Definitely. It's, it's maybe even getting hired. Um, so that's a name to keep an eye on. Anyway, they fired Yop Stom. Obviously, we are reporting that they are hiring Chris Albright as their new GM. Um, Paul and I reported, uh, we decided, we, we discovered that we both had a source telling us the same thing <laughs> before we started recording this show. <laughs> um, and Albright is going to be bringing Kyle McCarthy, who was the assistant technical director in Philly, with him to Cincinnati. That is the expected move there um so their front office is filling out their next step is hiring a coach to replace stom 
Paul, we've talked about FC Cincinnati a lot on this show. The various trials and tribulations. Uh, they've fired, hired and fired three head coaches in their MLS era. They are now about to be on their third GM in their MLS era. <laughs> uh, there's basically one common denominator at this club throughout the MLS era and really throughout their entire history. And that's because it's the club founder uh, and his name is Jeff Birding. Um, he was the inaugural GM. Um, he has, you know, played roles, I think, on the soccer side, even since he relinquished his GM title and handed it off to Gerard Nykamp. Um, he's still there. He's still making hiring decisions in terms of Albright. Um, I don't know what the hiring decision in terms of the next head coach will be, whether that'll be entirely a Chris Albright decision. I don't imagine it will be. I would imagine ownership and birding will also be involved, which to be fair is typical when you're making a head coaching decision. It's not, it's not an unnormal thing. Um, but I, this club, Paul have so many resources, great facilities, incredible fan base, and they can't get anything soccer related, right? And I just don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know birding's involvement completely detailed, but I know he is still a little bit involved, and I don't know if that's tenable. And I, I'm curious to see if it if it will remain the case with Albright in charge now. And if it does, I don't like their odds of turning this thing around in any any reasonable manner. Yeah, I mean, I can state for a fact that I know that as recently as this past year, he played a role in recruitment for higher profile signings, and that his presence didn't help that recruitment process of at least one source I spoke with who with direct knowledge of that recruitment. So he's certainly still involved on the sporting side. He's certainly still meeting with players to, to convince them to come to Cincinnati. Um, you know, he likes to talk about his experience in the NFL. Um, you know, I, we, we know what happened on draft day in their expansion year, the, treating it like it was an NFL draft and trading for as many picks as you can. Um, one of the more, I mean, I'll just be blunt here. One of the more embarrassing things I've seen. Um, they were getting they, they were getting laughed at by other clubs. They, they were getting laughed at, and 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 still are, um, still yeah. are getting laughed at. Yeah. And and realistically, I I want to. I mean, I'm just not going to beat around the bush with this because it's it's, you know, I, I'm going to cover this like I like anyone would cover it in any other league. The the reality is, you and I both have sources have told us that there are candidates who are not interested in going to Cincinnati because Jeff Birding is there and is involved. Period. And that's a reality that I don't know when or if Cincinnati will contend with it or deal with it or recognize it. Um, but it, and it's true. he can stay on the business side. I mean, he's I a think. he's a minority owner and yeah. he's not going and, and anywhere. And he, he got that stadium built, he got that training facility built. They have a big fan base. Yeah. I, it's I just, not like everything I, he's touched has gone wrong, you know. It's just but. his his presence within the club, it's a big one, and his influence on the sporting side still exists. And yeah. there are people who just do not want to work for him. Yep. And that's and that's just to put it as straightforward as we can. We've been told that. We know um some of the efforts that they made and and they shoot high. The ambition of the club is real. It's awesome. You know, they're they're going after I mean they put in requests for legitimate names in this league to interview. Something that I think all clubs should do. Like I think yeah. the Chicago Fire if they're going for a domestic candidate, I think they should shoot high. I think they should call Philadelphia and asked to, to interview 100%. Jim Curtin. They I should talk they should to Bob Bradley. Colorado they should talk to Jim Curtin. And ask to, to speak to Robin Fraser. They might, they'll probably get shot down when they make those calls. I but don't it's know. Worth I mean, asking. if you're Philadelphia and you're you're kind of 
similar to the Red Bull model. I mean, the Red Bull model is we develop coaches and we develop players. And when, <laughs> when we can get value for them, we do. Look at well, Struber. A, co- a coach Philadelphia has developed might be moving to Cincinnati too. <laughs> Who knows? In Pat Noonan, he looks like he's going to be hired somewhere. Yeah. So if they lose if they lose the coach that they would promote, I don't think they're trying to get rid of Jim Curtin, but, who just signed an extension, by the way. But good for good – for, um, Cincinnati to put in some requests for some well-respected GMs around the league and see if they can get interviews, getting rejected for those. But the people, people don't want to work there. People don't want to work there. And, and, yeah. and I think that, you know, there are legitimate questions too about Chris Albright. I'll, I'll be, I'll be blunt. I've made some phone calls. I had heard things from multiple years. You hear reputations on certain guys and I made some calls to reinforce that. And, Look, there's split opinions on Chris Albright and his readiness yeah. to run an organization. Um, we don't know what will happen until somebody does. I'm not trying to – Yeah, that's, bad that's the him. thing, man. He it, needs to no be one given knows. a chance to run this organization. He – you know, people in Philadelphia really liked him and respected him. Some people in Philadelphia really liked him and respected him. He was very much the guy who ran the budget for them and the contracts and the roster rules and all of those things. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how it works in Cincinnati. What the dynamic is, how much power Chris Albright is given, how much yeah, Jeff Burton is the involved. Real, that's the real question, man. That's the real question, and that's what none of us can know, and not even Chris Albright, by the way, because I'm guessing Jeff Burton probably told him, "Hey, this is your this is your show, right?" But who knows? Maybe, I mean, like, maybe I don't know if that's maybe, true. Maybe, because, maybe not. Because, but e- but even if he did say that, like, you never know if that's going to hold true. And I'm not trying to sit here and call Jeff Birding a liar. That's not what I'm trying to say at all. Um, and I, I don't want anyone to take it that way. But but these are things that are fun, right? Who wouldn't love to insert themselves on the sporting side of a soccer team? It would be fun. That's why we all play fantasy football. Everyone likes to play armchair GM. That's why we have this damn podcast, right? So the temptation is strong and it is there, right? And when push comes to shove, are you going to be able to keep your hands off? In the past, Birding hasn't. Will he this time? Yeah, I mean, when, when you sit down with, with, with people that you want to sign and you're at the table, is, is, is Jeff Birding going to be at that table making a pitch? I, I don't even think that necessarily is a terrible thing. He can't be picking the player. It might be a terrible thing if he's hurting the chances. Of course, so right? But I think, that's, but I think Jeff matter. Birding can sell the city of Cincinnati probably better than anyone can now it depends on who he's delivering the message to and it depends on his delivery right but he is a politician he was on the city council right there is some charisma in there right so all i'm saying is just the idea of him pitching cincinnati as a city and the things fc cincinnati are doing to a prospective signing that doesn't bother me now it might not work in practice in theory i'm fine with it right but he can't be picking the players. He can't be making the deals. He can't be doing any of that stuff. Yeah, I mean that—that's a certainty. And and you know we've seen some of the stuff that the charisma that you're talking about, the speech on the field and the speech in the locker room that he's done. You know, it's not really what I was talking. Th- about, I mean, but that's the but those were things. That. Those they were, were things. things. <laughs> um, you know, yeah. I mean, people who are in the president's role can add. I mean, Phil Rollins, I thought, was a brilliant president for Orlando Those City. Those guys closed deals. He was an incredible man. salesman, yeah. and he did so much for Orlando City when they were in USL and when they were in Major League Soccer, and they missed him when he left. 
Jeff Birding did great things for Cincinnati when they were in USL, but for three years they have and been. He got, dude, he got those buildings built. Yeah. Like that's not nothing. Yeah, so did Carl like, Lindner's billions of dollars. But they, yeah, of course, they but he swung deals. Like you got to get those things approved. They have the worst team in Major League Soccer for a third consecutive year. They are an organization that spends tons of money that no one wants to work for. There is a, there is a, according to my reporting. There is an I, uh, an attitude there that they're not that far away from having a winning roster, which yeah I don't agree with, and I think could could <laughs> I guess that depends on your definition of winning, <laughs> right? There, there there's problems if that's what you think. If you're spending that much money and you think you're only yeah. one or two pieces away, that's a problem. It's a problem. What have you learned? What have you learned? It's the same question we've we asked about the so, fire. What have you learned? I just I'm I'm kind of in I hope Chris Albright is successful. Um I hope that I hope this, that club succeeds because I, I think it would be great. good for MLS. It would be great. Yeah. It'd be great if they you know what they would be the first club that's kind of like not in a sexy city that's a big spending ambitious club. Like Kansas City has always been the successful club that's not like in New York yeah. or LA or on the coast. I mean Portland, I'm sure if Merritt heard this would be like, what are you talking about? That's what we are. But like, no, they, they, they've already, you know, they're in, they don't count because they've have been thought of as a bigger. Well, even Portland is like a trendy place, you know? Yeah. This is like, it's unexpected is what I'm trying to say. Like Cincinnati's not supposed to be a big spender and they are. They're not supposed to be contending in that way with the big. Money clubs, quote unquote. They're one of the biggest clubs are, in MLS from that they standpoint. They are the big money club. Yeah. They just spend poorly. It would be great. It'd be great to see them spend and win. I'm rooting for them, kind of. Wow. I don't root for anyone, but I look at this. I think it'd be good. The real honesty comes out. Paul Tenorio is an FC Cincinnati homer. It's this my man, new, my new hometown. Is his blood runs thick with Skyline Chili, who is the sponsor of tonight's show. But no, you're right, Paul. Like, it would be awesome because you want to see ambition rewarded, right? That's what we're, we yelled about FC Dallas last week. I, in particular, yelled about them <laughs> quite, quite a bit. But we, we yelled about FC Dallas. And, and why? Because they don't show that ambition, right? So you want the ambition to be rewarded because hopefully that inspires more ambition in other places. And more ambition will take this league to a different place than it is right now. And that's something that I think all of us listening to the show and speaking on this show <laughs> would like to see. Uh, and so from that standpoint, we hope Cincinnati does well. I think for them to do well, I think Jeff Birding needs to take a further step back and completely remove himself completely, completely from the soccer side. Uh, give Chris Albright a chance. I'm curious to see what kind of coach he hires. You know, obviously there is that relationship with Pat Noonan. Maybe they go that route. Maybe they go a different route. Who knows? Maybe Pat Noonan ends up at RSL where he's interviewed already a couple of times. Um, so, you know, there will be other people fighting for him. Um, but both with both Cincinnati and Chicago, you have regimes in both places. Um, you know, a new regime in Cincinnati, but an old boss and a old regime in Chicago. And we'll see what the old boss and the old regime have learned and if they've learned anything and if they're able to correct what they have going on. Because what we've seen for the last two years with the fire and for the last three years with Cincinnati has been nowhere near good enough. Got anything else, Paul? No, but I think after these two segments, I think I, I think I have to endorse that this was kind of, yeah, it was kind of like a sad boys episode. There it is. I got him.
I got him. I'm a politician. I don't endorse just that like term, Jeff Burning. Just that it fits. Well, I guess you're a sad boy about sad boy. And with that, I think we're going to close this week's episode. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Allocation Disorder. We will be back next week at like 3 in the morning from Austin, Texas, recording a post-game USMNT show. Enjoy that one. We'll be tired, but we'll enjoy it. Um, and thanks for listening. As always, I'm Sam. He's Paul. This has been Allocation Disorder. 